You are now listening to the Rose of Sharon Church podcast. It is our prayer that God challenges your heart during this week's message. If you would like to let us know what God is doing in your life, please email us at rostnshare at gmail.com. We're glad you're here. Welcome home to Rose of Sharon Church. Amen. Well, it's always a privilege and an honor to get to be with you and to get to worship God uh, with each and every single one of you as we worship together. And I'm looking forward to some fellowship in a few moments of time and being able to fellowship with you, getting to know you. Some of you, we already know you. Amen. Many of you and uh, getting to know some of you, uh, some of the new folks that are here. And we're going to the book of Second Timothy, chapter number two. And if you would, would you stand for the reading of God's word this morning as we talk about courage for the journey? Praise the Lord. Come back this afternoon. We're just going to worship God. We're going to have an awesome time in God's presence this afternoon. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and beginning in verse 1, he says, Therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have learned among many witnesses, the same commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that goes to war entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who had chosen him to be even a soldier. And if a man would strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned when he runs the race, except he run it lawfully. And the husbandman, which is the farmer, that labors must be first partaker of the fruits. Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. And then remember Jesus, because he's the seed of David, was raised from the dead according to my gospel. Let's bow our heads together today. And I want us to pray, and I want us to ask the Lord to just come and to minister to us these words that we've read. Father, in the name of Jesus, as we come to you this morning, I come to you, Father, as a humble vessel, Lord, and I lean myself upon you. I humble myself to you, and I ask, Lord, that you take control of my mouth. Make my mouth, Father, the pen even of a ready writer, that I might write upon the tablets of the hearts of men and women in this room, and that I might encourage them, Father, and I might build them up and lift them up, Father, and lift up their heart and their conscience and their cognizance, Father, to lay hold of the Word of God as truth and to stand on it in faith. And all God's children said, Amen and Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord this morning. Uh, let's, let's do some backgrounding here just for a second before we get straight into the Word of God. Now, Pastor Tim, over the last several weeks, has been uh, opening up a series to you on being courageous. Is that right? on being courageous and on having courage. And that's been kind of the message series he was sharing with me the other day. And I, and I, I really love that series because in the church that I pastored for a number of years, I took an entire year and the whole theme of that year was on courage. And so when he began to tell me that he was talking about courage for this church and courage for your personal journey, it began to excite me. And I kind of went back to some old notes and began to pray about it and talk about it. And he said that you were starting out in Joshua chapter 1. Is that right? And you had been in Joshua chapter 1 talking about courage. I love some of the verses from Joshua chapter 1 because just as Joshua and the children of Israel are about to make this transition and they're about to cross over the Jordan and go into Canaan land, God begins to tell Joshua some very powerful things. He, he tells Joshua in Joshua chapter 1, I'm just going to read you two or three scriptures here, but I want you to stay in 2 Timothy with me. How many of you will stay there all day with me today? 2 Timothy chapter 2. Just keep your finger there because we're going to go back and we're going to talk about some things about that text today. But in Joshua chapter 1, God tells Joshua, He says, there won't be any man able to stand before you all the days of your life as I was with Moses, so I will be with you and I will not fail thee, neither will I forsake thee. Isn't it a wonderful promise to know that God is with us? 
Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, God is with you. Amen. God is with you. Amen. Whether you know it or not, God is actually there. God is actually there. Well, Brother B, how do you know that God is actually there? Because God's Word says God is omnipresent. He's everywhere at the same time. Amen. That means God is with the folks in China just as He's much with the folks over here with us. Amen. That means God's just God. Amen. Even if He's in the Philippines, praise God. If God's in Egypt or if God's over in Ethiopia somewhere, God is the same God and He's everywhere at the same time and He is with us. And I love the promise of that because, I mean, how could your imagination wonder if you knew the God of heaven told you, hey look, I'm going to be with you and I'm not going to leave you and I'm not going to forsake you and there's going to be no man able to stand against you. What kind of dream could you dream if you knew God had said to you, I'm going to be with you, I'm not going to forsake you, and I'm going to be with you through every part of the journey. Amen? Well, guess what? God is no respecter of persons. If God was able to say that to Joshua, God's able to say that to you. Huh? He's able to say that to you. And I like what else he says. He, he goes on and he encourages Joshua. And he says in verse 6, he says, Be strong and of good courage, and don't worry about the land, because I'm going to divide the land up as an inheritance. And so he's letting Joshua and the children of Israel know there's an inheritance coming to them. There's a gift coming to them. What you didn't sow, you're going to reap. What you didn't build, it's going to come to you. What you didn't plant, it's going to come to you. Things are going to come to you. Just be strong and be courageous, Joshua, and go in and possess your inheritance. Go in and possess your land. And then he says in verse 7, he says only be strong and very courageous. And when he talks about very courageous, he mentions the law. He says meditate in the law and your way will be prosperous throughout all of your journey. You know Psalms chapter 1 also echoes that a little bit. It says if you meditate in the law day and night you shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. You're going to bear your fruit in your season and whatever you set your hand to do will prosper. So it's very simple. If you want to have a prosperous life, amen, it's not like the word of faith. You don't have to give an altar an offering. All you got to do is believe the word of God and live and meditate in the word of God. And guess what? Your way will be prosperous too. Hallelujah. Look at your neighbor and say, if you just obey the word, God will bless you. Amen. Just obey the word. God will bless you. He'll take care of you. He'll watch over you. You know, I, I'm sure it took a lot of courage to begin Rose of Sharon. Think about it. Think about 40 some odd years ago, 45 years ago. How much courage did it have to come up with that, that Brother Rose had to summon? Amen. That he had to pull all of his faculties together. And Sister Rose had to summon and pull all of her faculties together. And probably some little kids that were dragging the ground somewhere. Amen. That uh, she had to pick up and wipe off and spray off. Glory to God. And, and, and they had to pull all of that together. And, and listen, this didn't just start with all of these buildings that are here now. It, it started very differently. There, there was, I mean, it was basically a barren landscape and all God had was a man that would obey Him and He had to speak a word to Him and that was Carlton Rose. And Amen. And God had to speak that word into His heart and then give Him the revelation and give Him the understanding. And I imagine that when God spoke to His heart all those years ago to start this word, to start this word and this work, I think there was probably a little bit of anxiety. I think there may have been a little bit of fear. There might have been a little bit of apprehension. There may have been a little bit of, oh my goodness, what is about to take place here? Oh my Lord, what, what am I about to do? What am I about to engage in? Guys, whenever God speaks a word in your heart, God will speak always something bigger than you can possibly comprehend. He'll put something in your mind or in your heart bigger than you can possibly comprehend or you can possibly imagine. That way He can fulfill Ephesians to you. And He can say, I'm the God that's able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that you can even think or you could even ask or you could even imagine according to the power that works inside of you. Hallelujah. Which is the power of faith. Look at your neighbor and say, you have the power in you to achieve your dream. Hallelujah. You have the power in you to achieve your dream to achieve your focus Joshua and the children of Israel had to take a step every journey begins with a step 
Every journey begins with a step. When William Sherman was about to take the step to go down into Atlanta and to defeat Atlanta during the Civil War, and it was called Sherman's March, he penned these words. He said, I would define courage as the perfect sensibility of the measure of danger and the mental willingness to endure it. What is courage, basically? What does it mean to have courage in the face? It means this. It, courage is doing what you're afraid to do. And there can be no courage unless you're a little bit scared. There can be no real courage unless you're a little bit scared. Think about it. Amen. David had to be a little bit scared, but he knew that God had spoken into his life and because he might have been a little bit scared facing lions and bears and tigers and giants and the Lord only knows what all David would have to face in his life, he had the courage to go down to a brook and pick up stones. He had the courage to face it in the midst of his fear. Noah faced a little bit of fear. Noah knew that something was coming. It was called rain. He had never seen it before. But because he was moved with a little bit of fear, he summoned the courage to build an ark and put an ark in place. Daniel prayed anyway when he knew it would lead to a little bit of fear. They told him, they said, Daniel, if you keep praying morning, noon, and night, we're going to put you in the lion's den. Can you imagine? We're going to put you in the lion's den, Daniel. And there might have been a little bit of fear in Daniel's heart. But you know what he did? He summoned the courage to just keep on praying. Amen? He summoned the courage to just keep on believing God. And I imagine there might have been a little bit of fear when he got to the den of the lions. And they opened the door up and cast Daniel into the lion's den. But you know what? He summoned the courage to keep on praying, almost like the children of Israel and the three Hebrew children when they said, you know what, King, we're not going to bow to you. We're just going to keep standing and we're going to serve the living God. And when those three Hebrew children, amen, served the living God and stood, they told him, they said, look, we're going to throw you in the fiery furnace. And they said, but King, listen, we're going to serve the living God. Amen. Whether you like it or not, throw us in the fiery furnace. And guess what happened? Daniel went in the lion's den and God shut the mouths of the lion. The three Hebrew children went in the fiery furnace and God took the heat out of the flame and didn't burn one singe on the hair of their head. What are you trying to tell us, Brother B? I'm trying to tell you, you might be a little bit scared about the future of your journey, but the same God that was with Daniel is the same God that'll be with you. The same God that was with the children of Israel is the same God that'll be with you. The same God. Huh? The same God, hallelujah, he'll be with you. He won't leave you. He won't forsake you. And there won't be any man able to stand against you. Praise the Lord. Yeah, it probably took courage for Rahab not to take the spy's money and pimp her out. It probably took a little courage on Rahab's part to say, hey, look, no funny business tonight, guys, but you can sleep in my house. Probably took a little courage in Rahab's heart to hide those children in her house knowing that the next day someone was going to march around it and God was going to push it down into the ground. And she had to hang that scarlet thread out on the outside of her house knowing that she would never go back to her life in Jericho ever again. It probably, it probably weirded her out a little bit. It probably even gave her a little bit of fear. But she summoned the courage to let those guys stay in her house. It took courage for the children of Israel to stop listening to Moses and to begin to listen to Joshua. Think about that. Moses is telling Joshua, I'm handing this over to you. This is your journey now. This is your place now. And I, I just want to say this as a disclaimer. There is a point and there is a place in every Christian and every believer's life and every spiritual father's life where your journey comes to an end and you hand it off to another person who will carry on the rest of the journey. And it takes a little bit of courage and it's a little bit scary because now you have to hand it off to another person. And Moses tells Joshua, look, I'm handing this to you and God's going to confirm you and God's going to give you the authority and you're going to speak to the children of Israel and they're going to obey you just like they obeyed me. And I'm going to go up on the mountain and I'm going to see you cross over, but I'm not crossing over with you. God is just going to let me see it happen. Moses goes up on the mountain, gives the authority to Joshua, and now Joshua turns to the children of Israel and says, Obey me. Follow me. Follow my word as I follow Christ. And it must have took courage on the part of those old priests who were so used to listening to Moses. Now they had to bear up the ark. And the first instruction Joshua gives them is, I want you to go step in the muddy waters of Jordan. 
Go step in the muddy waters of Jordan. And those priests are looking for Moses and they can't find him because Moses has gone up on the mountain to be with God. And now they have to obey Joshua and obey the word that God put into the heart of Joshua. And they step into those muddy waters. But isn't it beautiful that because God was with Moses and Moses hands that spiritual authority over to Joshua, now God is with Joshua and God is with the same children of Israel as he was with Moses. He's so with Joshua and they step into those muddy waters of the Jordan. Jordan, and God begins to dry up the muddy Jordan on this side and dry it up on that side and by the time all the priests get in the middle of the muddy Jordan with the ark of God amen the ground is completely dry and the children of Israel are able to cross over it took a little bit of courage but it also had a little bit of fear mingled with it and I'm sure I'm sure it's going to take a great deal of courage for each and every single one of you to step into your future and to lay hold of it. And you might be a little scared. You might be a little apprehensive. You may be a little doubtful. But if you'll pull yourself together and just believe God, hallelujah, you can do great things for God too. With your life, you can step into this wonderful journey with God. Now let's look at our text together. Come on, look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're just in one place in the whole Bible today, and you can follow along with me. But I want you to look at 2 Timothy chapter number 2, and I want to show you some things about the incredible journey and some of the examples that God puts out about the incredible journey. Look at, uh, look at verse number 3. He says, Endure hardness as a good soldier. Look at verse number 5. It says, And if you're an athlete, be sure and run the race with lawfully. Lawfully. Verse number 6. He says, And if you're the farmer, labor and be the partaker of the fruits. Look at verse 7. He says, Consider what I say. And then look at verse 8. He says, And then remember Jesus. And then remember Jesus. Look at verse number 3. Let's just talk about verse number 3. Look at what he says. He says, he says, Therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that wars entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please whom he has chosen to be a soldier. You see, God through Paul is encouraging a young Timothy. Paul has finished his part of the journey. Paul has already been on three missionary journeys. And now Paul says later on in the later part of the book, he says, I fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. There is now therefore laid up for me a crown of righteousness whom the Lord shall give on that day. And Paul's about to check out. Paul's about to leave his part of the journey. But he's given encouragement to a young man that's beginning his journey. And he says, look, he says, Timothy, the first thing I want you to realize is be strong in the grace that God has given you. Can I tell you the grace that has brought you this far? Some of you are not listening to me. You've already checked out. You've got more chicken in your head than you got my preaching in your head right now. The grace that God has already given you and brought you this far will be the grace that will carry you the rest of the way, Timothy. He says, be strong in the grace that was in Christ Jesus. Because when you start your journey and you step out on your journey, guess what? Let me let you in on a little secret. You're going to make more mistakes. You're going to make more mistakes. You're going to trip up again. You're going to fall again. You're going to get discouraged again. You're going to get frustrated again. But Timothy, listen to me. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. If God's grace brought you this far, God's grace will carry you the rest of the way. Be strong in the grace, Timothy. That is in Christ Jesus. Look at what else he says. And I'll get down to verse 3. He says, And in the things that you've learned of me and witnessed of me, commit to faithful men. What is he trying to tell you? He's trying to tell Timothy, Timothy, I don't want you to do the journey by yourself. What you've learned of me, stay strong in the grace of it and then give it to several other people because the rest of the journey is going to take a team and it can't take a Herculean effort on your part and nobody else going with you. You're going to have to put a team together, Timothy. You're going to have to commit this to faithful men and then those faithful men are going to have to get around you and create an atmosphere atmosphere of faith with you and you're going to have to congeal that faith together because if one can put a thousand to flight, two can put ten thousand to flight and if you'll just believe God, Timothy, and get some other men around you that believe God you'll be able to go further on the journey than I did. 
You know, Paul carried a team of about 25 people with him everywhere he went. In fact, on his first missionary journey, Paul had 12 people by the time he got to, uh, to, he got to Cyprus. He had 12 people already with him, not in, including the women and the others that came along on his very first missionary journey. If Paul had to have 12 people and he's telling Timothy, hey, look, this is the team we had in the first missionary journey and the second missionary journey and now the third missionary journey and now I'm going to Rome to be executed by Nero. Listen, what you've heard of me, commit to faithful men because you're going to have to have a team too. You can't go on life's journey without a team effort encouraging you along the way. You're going to need some people along the way. Maybe they don't go all the distance of the journey with you, but a few encouraging texts along the way and a few encouraging prayers along the way and a few encouraging phone calls along the way and for some of us a few Pentecostal pecan pies along the way. Hallelujah. Help us to get on the journey. And encourage the journey. Then he gives examples of people who are on a journey. Look at verse 3. I'm coming back to it. Verse 3. Hallelujah. We're going to get to verse 3. Examples of people on journey. First one he says, he says, endure hardness as a good soldier. Put my soldier up there, baby. Hallelujah. There's my soldier. He's going off to war. Think about a soldier in the example of a journey. My son recently went through boot camp, and my son is now in his, I believe it's his second year of his eight-year commitment to the United States military, and I'm thankful for that. But it was a journey to begin out, and so it's a journey process. And I, I just want to say this to you. If you're beginning your journey in Jesus Christ, I want you to understand something, that we are in the middle of a war. And it's not a physical war that's happening in America. We're in the middle of a spiritual war. And if you name the name of Jesus Christ and you've asked Jesus to come inside of your heart, I want you to know whether your pastor told you or not, you are now officially a part of the army of Jesus Christ. You're in the army of the Lord. Amen. We used to even sing little songs like that. I'm a soldier in the army of the Lord. We used to sing little stuff like that to remind ourselves that we were in the midst of a spiritual battle, that we were in the midst of a spiritual warfare. And I want you to understand something. If you're new to the army of Jesus Christ, you are not immediately promoted to the, to the position of general when you get in the army of Jesus Christ. You're just a private like all the rest of us. And what do privates do? They take orders. You got to learn how to take your orders, honey. If you want to be good in the journey of Jesus Christ, quit telling everybody around you what you think should happen and just start obeying the word of God and taking orders and keep your mouth shut and be faithful. And you might get to E2. You might even get up to E4. But some of us are still privates because we don't know how to take orders. And some of us have gone AWOL and, and the MPs have come and brought us back. And they say, look, you got to stay in. <laughs> you got to stay in the army. I know a lot of people that would like to graduate to the athlete part and run the race and do great things for God. But if you don't learn how to do the army part, if you don't learn how to stay in line, And they don't march like that, by the way. <laughs> but if you don't learn how to straighten up, and, and sometimes, yeah, your head does have to get shaved by God. Why? Because your hair is the example of your pride. Your hair is the example of your heritage. Your hair is the example of your namesake. I remember that beautiful moment when Bubby, amen, and Bubby said, Dad, would you go in with me? Amen, into the room. I said, yeah, boy, I'll go in there with you. Amen. And, and when we walked across the threshold of the door into the United States Army military campus building right there, I put my arm around Bubby and I said, Bubby, I said, there goes your mama. Hallelujah. He said, what do you mean, Daddy? And I said, she ain't going to be your mama no more. I said, your mama, amen, is 5'2" beautiful amen brunette white all over I said but your next mama is going to be six foot seven 350 pounds amen he going to have muscles all over him and black all over and every nook and cranny in between and I said and when you fail to get up in the morning he's going to get you up son hallelujah when you fail to eat your dinner he's going to make sure and shove it down your throat boy I said you got a brand new mama hallelujah and they put him up in that barber chair and that guy took that number one, hallelujah, and took that big, black, thick, gorgeous hair that my son had, looked like a supermodel hair, and he just went right there. And that's it. Bubby lost all of his identity right there. It was white as a cone, baby. Hallelujah. 
And I said, I'm no longer your daddy. He said, what do you mean you're no longer my daddy? I said, that next man coming in here starting to yell at you, that's going to be your daddy, son. (laughs) Hallelujah. And you know, we don't tell enough people that when they get saved. You're getting saved, guess what? You're changing mama and daddies. The devil is no longer your daddy. The devil's no longer your daddy when you get saved. When you get saved, who's your daddy? God is your daddy. And then he puts an earthly daddy in the form of a spiritual father called a pastor in your way to give you the orders. What am I supposed to do, brother B? Follow orders. Follow the stinking orders. If you learn how to be a soldier and endure hardness as a good soldier, I have, I have several good friends One has already passed away. He's in Heber Springs, Arkansas. He's in the grave now. He was the man who took the flag down at Iwo Jima from the courthouse in Iwo Jima. He's not not a member of the original six that brought the American flag up on the hill there at Iwo Jima. He was actually a group of men. All they had was pistols. Their rifles had ran out of ammunition. Amen. He's a very special brother in the Lord. And, And he showed me the flag at the courthouse of Iwo Jima. He stormed that courthouse. He had three bullets in his pistol. When he stormed the courthouse at Iwo Jima, downtown Iwo Jima, and he went in there and when the captain of the Japanese army saw him, he came at him with a sword because he had no bullets in his rifle. All he had was a sword and that man took the butt of his pistol and he crushed it through the skull of that Japanese captain and took him and took him down to the ground and beat him to death with that pistol because he was already out of bullets and he went up on top of the courthouse and took the flag down, the Japanese flag from Iwo Jima off of the top of the courthouse. And he showed me that flag. And he told me the story of how they killed rats and how they boiled rats and they boiled rice holes because they didn't have rice, but they had the rice holes. And they they boiled the rice holes and they ate the rice holes there in Iwo Jima along with the rats because that was all the food they had. The food ships had not come into Iwo Jima at that time. He was enduring hardness as a good soldier. I have another good friend. His name is Norman. He lives in West Plains, Missouri. Fought in the Vietnam War. In the Vietnam War, he was the first radio man that radioed in the first airstrike at the Tet Offensive. But he told me before Tet Offensive ever happened, he spent most of his time in Laos and in Cambodia. In fact, the Vietnam War was fought more in Laos and Cambodia than it was in Vietnam. But as he was in Laos, he was on the top of a hillside and the rainy season began. And he told me how that his troop of 12 men crawled up the side of this hillside as there were 3,000 Viet Cong soldiers that were marching down through this valley, came down through the valley. They saw them. They radioed it in. The instructors told him, they said, stay on the mountain, stay where you're at and watch the soldiers that are down in the valley. And the soldiers that were down in the valley decided to camp out. Well, they camped out there for days and so for the next four days old Norman and his troop of men laid on the side of that mountain they ate on the side of that mountain they used the restroom on the side of that mountain they slept on the side of that mountain in the middle of the rainy season pouring down rain he said the mud from off of the top of the mountain and the trees eventually covered their bodies except for their eyes and their parts of their limbs and he said we had to dig ourselves out when the airstrikes began because there was so much mud that came down off of the side of that hill and and why are you telling us this brother b because he had to stay he had to endure he had to stick He had to watch the enemy he had to keep his eye on the enemy in order to gain freedom He had to keep his eye on the enemy and he had to stay in his spot and he had to take orders like a good soldier. What if they had decided to leave? The Viet Cong would have probably caught them, tortured them, and killed them. But because he decided to hang on to the roots of the side of a mountainside, they were on the side of a mountain, guys, in the middle of the rainy season in Vietnam, allowing mud to cover over their bodies while they radio in troop numbers that were in the bottom of the valley. And they had to stay there for four days until the helicopters came and took them out as Tet began. What are you trying to tell us, Brother Bree? I'm trying to tell you there's going to be some rainy seasons in your life. There's going to be some moments in your life when all you have to eat, amen, is a bit of 
dried up, charred up bread that you ate, amen, six months ago, amen, and there's no fresh word, there's no fresh revelation, there's no fresh endowment from God, and you're just going to have to live on the faith of God's word that you already know, and you're going to have to chew on it, and you're going to have to believe it, and you're going to have to trust in the word that you already know. Maybe you haven't learned any new word, but there's enough crust of bread in some of this old word that you have. Maybe all you can hang on to is for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Maybe that doesn't encourage you for the battle you're going through, but it's just enough bread. Amen. To hold on to and to stay on the mountainside until the next order comes. All right, look, look on. Look at look what he says. He says, he says, and no man that wars entangles himself with the affairs of his life. Guys, when you get in the army of the Lord, there's just some things you're going to have to let go of. You can't entangle yourself. How can you war a good warfare when you're always worried about your job? How can you war a good warfare when you're always worried about your spouse and about your kids and you're always worried about your stuff and your house and the next time you're going to wash and detail your car? How can you war a good warfare if you're always concerned about your credit cards and you're always concerned about your next vacation? You're always concerned about grandma and grandpa and all these other affairs of life. He says any man that wars a good warfare doesn't entangle himself. There is a place in your journey where you're going to have to cut the cord off of a lot of things. And you're just going to have to keep your mind on Jesus and learn how to take orders. Now that doesn't happen throughout all the rest of your life. But I will say Jesus said to his disciples, he says, Any man, a man that left mother or father, sister or brother, houses or land, in this life will receive an hundredfold if he'll be faithful to me. And yes, there are some things that entangle you in the warfare. And if you're being tangled up and you realize that your back is in, in, in the moment of a private and you're back in the army of the Lord and you're just trying to have a good warfare and you're trying to have a good journey, cut the entanglements of this life and war the good warfare and obey orders and God will get you to the next step of the journey. Verse 5. He says, and if you're an athlete... If you're an athlete, put my athlete up there. Hallelujah. He says, and if you're an athlete, he says, and you strive for masteries. He says, and you're not crowned except you strive lawfully. Guys, there's a place in the journey where we are in the army of the Lord and we've got to learn how to obey and take orders. But then there's another place in the journey of life where we become the athlete. What does the athlete represent? The athlete represents spiritual exercise. What does the athlete do? Well, the soldier has to learn how to march. The soldier has to learn how to walk in unity. The soldier has to learn how to walk in a team. But the athlete learn, learns how to improve himself by constant and consistent exercise and personal discipline. I think of athletes that entered into the Olympics. Do you know for two years they can't have a boyfriend? They can't have a girlfriend? They have to be on a special diet? And then every morning they get up and they do the same exercises and the same routines before the afternoon where they get to do the exploratory stuff with whatever their athletic uh, specialty is and they have to prepare themselves for years at a time. Some athletes that enter the Olympics will train for up to 10 years before they ever get into the Olympics because it's all about training. The success is in their training. The success is in their exercise. The, the success is in their stamina. What are you trying to tell me? In the journey of life, you are a soldier in the Lord. Take your orders. Learn how to march and step with the team. But when God moves you to athlete status, it's up to your personal discipline. In the army, God wakes you up with the drill sergeant. But when you're an athlete, you have to get yourself up. When you're an athlete, you have to discipline yourself. When you're an athlete, if you want to win the prize, you have to get yourself up and practice. Shoot the hoop. Run the race. Amen. Learn how to throw this pigskin. Learn how to, to do all the different things and jump over the hurdles and all the different things. And then you have to discipline your own diet and you have to discipline your own self. What are you trying to tell us, Brother B? There's a place in your journey with God when people are going to help you along the journey and they're going to give you marching orders just like the soldier 
career. But when you get to athlete status, God is leaving it up to you to discipline yourself. God is leaving it up to you to exercise your spiritual will yourself. You're going to have to learn to get up and pray on your own time. You're going to have to learn how to read your Bible on your own time. You're going to have to learn how to engage the presence of the Lord on your own time. Nobody up here agging you on saying, come on, praise God. Come on, worship God. Come on, live for God. Come on, glorify God. Come on, lift your hands and worship. No, when you're an athlete, you're just doing it for yourself because you know spiritual exercise is good for you. Hallelujah. I feel better already. Something popped when I did that. Hallelujah. Mm -hmm. Hallelujah. I got two more pages of notes, Daddy. Glory to God. Hallelujah. He says, be strong in the grace. Be a soldier. Be an athlete. And then what does he say about the athlete? He says, if you're going to run the race, you got to run it lawfully. That means you can't cut corners on the journey. You can't cut corners on the journey. You have to stay within the boundary lines of your journeys, of your journey's journey. <laughs> you have to stay within the boundary lines of where your journey is set. And if God has set your journey before you, then just do it lawfully. Run the race lawfully. Well, Brother B, it feels like I'm a tortoise. Well, good. The tortoise eventually beats the hare. Hallelujah. Why? Because the hare moves too fast. The hare doesn't know how to enjoy the journey. But the tortoise knows patient persistence. Amen. The, the tortoise knows how to consider himself faithful. And he just keeps moving one foot, one leg in front of another. And if you're going to do the journey of life for God and have courage for you, you're just going to have to have enough courage to put one step in front of the other. And there are some of you, you say, Brother B, I don't see the end from the beginning. Well, guess what? You don't have to. All God asks of you is one more step. Huh? That's what He's asking you. One more step. One more step. Pray today. One more step. Read your Bible today. One more step. 12 cigarettes instead of 25 cigarettes today. Huh? One more step. One more step. Amen. I'm going to do something that Brother Rose asked me to do, and I'm going to do it without complaining. One more step. Do one more step today. One more step tomorrow. I'm going to come to prayer meeting. I don't feel like coming to prayer. I'm coming to prayer meeting. One more step. One more step. One more step. One more step. And eventually it'll get easier. It'll get easier. It'll get easier because the more you take a step, amen, and the more you're persistent and the more you consider your way and the more you're faithful, the more God can bless that. The more God has something to work with for crying out loud. Run the race lawfully. I don't have time to just break down all of lawfully. But look at what else he says. He says these words. He says, and if you strive for that, that mastery, do it lawfully. And he says, and then the husbandman labors. If you thought it was hard being in the army of the Lord. If you thought it was hard on your journey, being an athlete and just learning how to run. When God promotes you to farmer status. You thought it was hard work getting up at 4.30 in the morning and taking orders from the drill sergeant? You thought it was hard work when you did your own personal discipline and you ran your race? When God promotes you to farmer status, you know what He does? He gives you a dry, barren piece of ground and land, a couple of hand tools, spiritual hand tools. He hands you a bucket of seed and He says, there you go, bucko, get on your journey. And if you thought that was hard work... When you get to farmer status, guess what? You have to plow your own ground. God doesn't plow it for you. You have to plow your own ground. And it's laborious. And it's intensive. It's hard work. Karen and I have two farms right now. The first farm we got, when we pulled up in the yard, the first farm we ever bought, amen, it was a foreclosed farm. It was worth hardly nothing. We pulled up there. There's a big old house, a big Amish-built farmer house. We couldn't even see the front door because the weeds was this high in the front yard. Hallelujah. What'd you do, Brother B? We rolled over top of them weeds. We hit a, a, some, big, some big old brush hog that was out there. We just slammed into that brush hog because the weeds was growed up around at the farm. What'd you do? I just lit the front yard on fire and just started a whacking. Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> I beat that front yard senseless, brother. I brought it on down to where I could mow that thing with a mower. Hallelujah. I wanted to get to the door. Uh, 
And I, man, I took that side and she took that hoe and we started whacking them weeds. We built us a fire. We burned more tools in the front yard than we did burn equipment. It just old rusted up stuff. We started piling that stuff up. Amen. And we cleared us away to the front door. When you got to the front door, what was there? There was a mess inside the house. There was her farm. Hallelujah. And then I had to take the rest of the outside of that farm. We worked on that farm for three years. Amen. And we got, we finally got it back to beautiful pastures. And we finally got it to fenced. And we finally got the fences fixed. And we got the barn rebuilt. And we got it painted. But I'm saying it took effort. It took a hard effort. It took an effort on our part. And we had to stay with it. Some mornings we got up. I'd tell her and tell her the kids, get on up. That's why the kids left our house early because they didn't want to help daddy clean up the farm. Amen. And, and she stayed with us. She said, I'm married to him. I can't leave him now. Hallelujah. And I said, get on up, baby. We got work to do. And we worked 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 and we kept working and we kept working. And then we finally got it to the place where we could plow the thing. And when we plowed it, guess what? It was good old Ozark and dirt. Hallelujah. You know what Ozark and dirt is? It's rocks this big with other rocks that big with dirt and rocks that big hallelujah what'd you do we took six trailer loads of dirt and rocks out of that one particular garden we got us a donkey and we let the donkey live in the garden amen because donkeys know how to make things grow and we plowed that thing under we moved them rocks out of the way and we made us a garden and then guess what after we got the garden made we had to work getting all of that out of the garden and getting it in the house and getting it put up when god promotes you to farmer status Every seed and every harvest you get is based on your own effort. It's based on your own effort. Some of you are at athlete status. You're waiting for some, amen, some usher in the crowd to come by and give you a bag of popcorn. You're waiting on some usher to come by and give you a Coke or give you a Sprite or give you a bottle of water. When you're a soldier, amen, you're waiting for them to blow the horn so you'll go into the mess hall. But when you're in the farmer position, you have to fix your own meals. You have to fix your own food. You have to heat up your own plate. And sometimes you have to eat leftovers so that you can get the next day's harvest. Because that's farmer status. And then look at what else he says in verse 6. He says in the journey, he says, consider what I say. Consider what I say. Everybody say that with me. Consider what I say. Who say what said say who? What are you trying to tell us, Brother B? When you're in the army of the Lord, you take orders from the drill sergeants, from the colonels, from the privates, from the majors. You take, you take orders from all of those different authoritarian positions. When you're the athlete, you take orders from the coach. When you're in farmer status, you have to learn how to get amongst your peers and other farmers and learn what works in your field and what doesn't work in your field. But then Paul said, Timothy, consider what I say. There are some of you on your personal journey, you won't learn it all in boot camp. You won't learn it all in athletic camp. And you won't earn it, learn it all in farmer camp. You know what you'll have to do? You'll have to go back to your pastor. You'll have to go back to your pastor. Your spiritual leader. Your pastor. And you'll have to consider what he said. Why? Because you plant one seed in the field as the farmer and it doesn't come up. You add a little fertilizer to it and it still doesn't come up. And he says, Timothy, he said, consider what I say. In the journey of life, you need drill sergeants and you need leaders in the army. In the journey of life, you need coaches at athletic status. In the journey of life, when you're the farmer, you have to learn how to consort with other farmers. But then there's a place in God, in the journey of God, you have to go back to your pastor and you have to learn how to ask for honest advice in humility. There's just some things in athletic status and soldier status and farmer status I didn't get. What'd you do, Brother B? Did you quit on your journey? No, I called my pastor. And I had to consider what he said. And when I took into account what he said, what'd you do? I just got back in line and I followed it. I followed it. And some of the stuff he said I didn't like. Some of the stuff he said addressed the rough edges on me that didn't get knocked out when I was a soldier, that didn't get exercised off when I was an athlete, and didn't get worked off when I was a farmer. And there were still some rough spots on me. And I had to go back to my pastor, and my pastor had to reach up there in the Spirit and knock some chips off that didn't fall off when I was in all those other journeys. And when I listened to my pastor, hallelujah, and my pastor gave me instructions. I stepped on the next part of my journey. And I learned how to obey in my journey. But you know what I love? 
Paul wraps it up with verse number 8 and he says, remember Jesus. Remember Jesus. And he said, consider the seed of David. What are you trying to tell us, Brother B? I'm trying to tell you when you're in the journey with God, hallelujah, and you learn how to be a soldier in the army of the Lord and take orders and learn how to endure hardness as a good soldier, you got to remember what they did to Jesus, they're going to do to you. Amen. They didn't like Jesus, they're not going to like you. Some of you on your journey, if you're going to be like Jesus and wind up like Jesus and begin to smile and have the joy of Jesus in your heart the world's not going to understand you and even some in the church are going to persecute you hallelujah there's going to be things when you begin to walk and talk and live like Jesus amen the world is going to turn its back on you but you got to consider Jesus Jesus was the seed and the root of David and that of Jesse and Jesus came down through 42 generations of time making his way on his journey from the throne room of God all the way to the womb of Mary and your Bible says he was born of a virgin. Amen. He didn't get born in the middle of a royal palace. He left a royal palace so that he could go and be born in Mary's womb, be born from her womb and wind up in a manger in the middle of a stable. It stunk in that stable. There were animals in that stable. There was manure in that stable. There were old smelly shepherds in that stable. But he didn't stay in that part of his journey. But your Bible says Jesus began to grow and he began to wax strong. About 10, 12 years later, they'd find Jesus in the temple and he was teaching in the temple his mom and dad left him didn't even know where his was and Jesus was ministering in the temple on the part of his journey amen and the Bible says that his mom and dad came back looking for him trying to find him and he told his mom and dad I'm just about my father's business doing what my father had told me to do well Jesus made himself humble and he took upon himself the form of a servant and he humbled himself and he began to obey his mom and dad what was that that was the soldier journey. He was learning how to take orders. He was learning how to do what mom and daddy had told him to do. And for the next 20 years, you don't hear anything about Jesus because Jesus was in the army. He was doing what mom and dad had told him to do. Then he gets to athlete status and he turns the water into wine and he starts exercising his spiritual gifts. And he starts exercising his spiritual gifts. He turns water into wine. He starts healing bodies. Then he runs his race and he starts raising people from the dead and people start coming to him and now Jesus gets to the farmer part of his journey and he has to die because your Bible says except a grain of wheat fall into the ground and die it abides alone but if it dies it bears much fruit Jesus got to farmer status and Jesus just put himself in the ground and considered what his father said and his father said hey look I've got enough power that if you die and give your life I've got enough power to pick you up and raise you up and on three days later the harvest came out of the ground and Jesus got up out of the grave and one day Jesus is coming back to sit on the throne of his father David hallelujah consider his journey was his journey hard yeah it's hard was his journey wayfaring? Yeah. The Bible says he didn't even have no place to lay his head. He didn't have anybody to cook any meals for him. And guess what? People are cooking a meal for you right now. You're on a journey, sir. You're on a journey, ma'am. And you're going to have to summon the courage to pull your faculties and your mind together and say, you know what? It begins with a step and I'm going to take a step toward my destiny. I might have to put myself back in the army and let my head be shaved and learn how to take a few orders. Amen. And learn how to step in line with the rest of the group. But that's all right because I'm going to go on my journey and I'm going to go farther on my journey than I've come thus far. Hallelujah. Father, as we love on you today, and as we thank you and we praise you today for the opportunity, Lord, to bow before you. We bow our heads, Father, understanding, Lord, that we need courage for our journey. We bow our heads today, understanding, Lord, that just as Paul gave instructions to a young Timothy about the army, the athlete, the farmer, and what he said, we now consider our own lives, Father. I want everyone to just respectfully and reverently stand before the presence of the Lord with your head bowed and your eyes closed. I want to ask you, what step of the journey are you in? <clears throat> what step of the journey are you in this morning? Maybe you're in this room and you say, Brother B, somebody signed me up for the arm and put me in the arm and 
I'll be honest, Brother B, I didn't even know I was in an army. Brother B, somebody stuck me in here and now a drill sergeant's shouting orders at me. And Brother B, I'm going to honestly tell you, I, I've, I've had kind of a bad reaction to it. And I've got some growing up to do. Well, join the crowd, honey. Join the crowd. Take a number. You're in this room and say, Brother B, I'm in the army of the Lord and my pride's getting in the way from learning how to take orders. If that's you, would you lift your hand up? Come on, just be honest. My pride's getting in the way from learning how to take orders, Brother B. Thank you, sir. What if you're in this room and you say, Brother B, I, I've come out of the army status and I'm in personal athlete status. God's left up my personal relationship with Him to me. Between me and Him. And I have to use some personal discipline. And Brother B, I'll be honest, in athlete status, I haven't disciplined myself like I should. Come on, anybody? Would you raise your hand? Who in this room, and I, th I think just about everybody's answered the altar call already, but who in this room would raise a hand and say, Brother B, I'm in farmer status, and I've got some fallow fields that I need to go to work on. Anybody? When I say fallow fields, I mean relationships. I mean personal friendships of people that you need to be winning to Jesus. And say, Brother B, I'm in farmer status and, and I've got some weeds growed up around some relationships with some friends and I, I need to clear the weeds so that I can plow the ground. Anybody? In farmer status? In farmer status? Who in this room would just be brave enough? I think just about everybody's answered the altar call already, but who in this room would be brave enough to say, Brother B, I've been a farmer for quite some time. I've been an athlete. I've been a soldier. But Brother B, I really hadn't been listening to Pastor Tim. I really haven't been listening and considering what Pastor Tim's been trying to tell me and say. Brother B, I'd rather consider my own way instead of considering what my pastor's tried to tell me. And I need to be a little bit more obedient, Brother B, and I need to consider what he says. Thank you. Anybody else? Come on, be brave. Be brave. There's a place in God where you do need to repent to your pastor. There's a place in God for that. I remember September the 23rd, 2007. I went to my pastor and apologized to my pastor. I was tearing his youth group up. I was ugly. I was mean. That was way back in the 90s. But I had to summon the courage to apologize to him in 2007. I was already pastoring a church and I had to apologize to my pastor. But I humbled myself. What happened after you apologized to your pastor? God started blessing my ministry. God started opening up doors for me. But I had to be humble and I had to go to my pastor and ask for his forgiveness. Listen, if I gave the altar call, everybody would come down this morning. So I just want us all to answer it right where we're standing. Would you join hands with the person beside you? And I, I just want us to pray this morning. I want us all to pray out loud. And as I begin to pray, I want you to pray along with me. And if you're in one of those statuses, I want you to humble yourself before God and just say, Lord, please forgive me. Lord, have mercy upon me. And Lord, Lord, help me to be strong in the grace that you've already given me for the rest of my journey.